0: Good morning. I know I've already said good morning, but once before, but you never feel over greeted. <laughs> uh, we're going to be uh, working through uh, First Thessalonians. If you were here last week, you know that. Um, so, be turned into First Thessalonians chapter one, verses. We're going to finish off chapter uh, verse five and go all the way down to verse ten. And um, today, we're going to be hearing about imitation, what it means to be an imitator. And when I hear that word, the first thing that comes to mind uh, is an ingredient used in baking. So you could go to the kitchen, you can open up your cupboard and pull it down, and all of a sudden you've got imitation vanilla extract. And you're thinking, imitation vanilla extract? So you're saying this itself is not vanilla extract, right? So you you can have real vanilla extract or you can have imitation. And they're very different. And one of the main differences is what they're made out of. And if you you go online and Google, you can see there are many different things that are used to make imitation vanilla extract. But one of them, it's actually a, a byproduct of the milling process for lumber. So our, our state should be using imitation vanilla extract because we've got lots of trees that supports our industry. It's like using butter when you live in Wisconsin. Um, but regular vanilla extract is actually made with vanilla beans. And right? so that's what makes imitation vanilla extract an imitation. And that is not what Paul is trying to talk to us about in this passage, there will be some similarities, but ultimately, this isn't a perfect analogy. And, and so, what if we think about what it means to be imitators? Paul's going to convince us it's not imitation vanilla extract, which is a good thing. All right, so starting with the, the second part of verse 5, and we'll go down to verse 10. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we have re- we have received among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The first thing we want to look at is at the very end of verse 5, we're told that you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And they're actually saying, so if we hop back to the passage above, they're saying we were the sort of men who had this uh, power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So when we're among you, these were the sort of men that we were. And you know that, right? And they're, they're reminding them, well, obviously we, we didn't just come with empty words but we came and you knew the works that we did among you and so they're, they're starting off with a reminder about that and then they move into verse 6 right we can talk the end of verse 5 that's the real vanilla right that's, that's real holy spirit full conviction power working out in the apostles that's the real vanilla That's what we'll label it. So in in verse 6, we move on and we hear, And you became imitators of us and the Lord. And one interesting thing is, looking at this, they became imitators of the apostles, right? So they become imitators of Paul, but they also become imitators of the Lord. So the apostles come to town, uh, if you go back to Acts chapter 17, you can read about Paul coming to Thessalonica. So when Paul comes into town, he teaches these people. And as a result of him teaching these people, they become imitators of the apostles. Right? And that seems very natural to us. Right? Someone comes to town, someone teaches something, and there are people who listen. And ultimately, as a result, people have changed to be more like the teacher, right? So, uh, you uh, think about it in terms of a role model, right? You have a role model growing up and uh, they really like fishing. And they're constantly taking you fishing and teaching you how to fish. Well, you might have grown to love fishing because, not because inherently you just love fishing from the day you were born, but because your role model taught you how to fish. So in some ways this is very natural, right? So the apostles come into town and they teach this content, this message, and ultimately the people become more like the apostles. So much so that Paul is able to call them imitators. But in a a second way, in a second way this is different than a role model. In the second way is because they become imitators of the Lord also. So we don't just see, well, they, you know, in terms of the human course of things, people become imitators of other people, that's just natural, but they also, by extension, become imitators of the Lord, which they they had never, and, and the, when uh, Paul says the Lord here, he means Jesus. So if we go back up to, to the first two verses, he says God is the Father and Jesus is the Lord. So when he says Lord here, we're talking about Jesus. So. He's saying, because you're imitating us, ultimately you are imitating the Lord by extension. And that is something different. You know, These people had never met Jesus, never seen him face to face, and yet in following Paul and the apostles, they're able to say, we are imitators of Jesus. One of the lessons that we learn from this is that imitation requires us to submit to an authority. And that's, that's both in the natural sense and in the supernatural sense. And I, I realize we're about to celebrate Independence Day, right? And it seems kind of uh, counterintuitive. You know, in our country, uh, we have this desire for freedom and, and liberty to do what we want. But ultimately, the gospel is a message that says, no, ultimately what Jesus wants trumps what you want. And so we don't subject ourselves to our own desires, but to the desires of the Lord. And so think about it this way. We, we've all had teachers that either we like or dislike. And, and when we subject ourselves to the authority, you know, when we walk into their classroom, we are under their rule. And that can either be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. And so as these, as these people in Thessalonica are coming and they're listening to Paul, they are submitting to his authority, right? He's teaching because there were guys who didn't submit, right? Remember that? There were guys who said, you know, we want Paul out of town. They're the guys who didn't sit through the lecture. They went outside and they got a crowd together to chase Paul out of town. So there's a way that we can either submit, we can sit under uh, the teaching of someone like Paul, or, and, and, well, and, and that submitting will, will make us into imitators, or we can become people who, who don't want authority over us and we, and we shrug authority and we say, you know, I, I don't want anything to do with this. And in in that case, you will not be an imitator, either of of them or the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. So imitation isn't just about, well, I'm able to talk about things like Paul talked about. I mean, it isn't just a message about content, right? So Paul isn't just a, a Bible teacher who comes and then all of a sudden they're able to parrot him if someone were to ask them a question. If we move uh, further down in verse 5, I I mean verse 6, we hear uh, a clear evidence of what it means to be an imitator. Uh, And this is, For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So Paul actually sees this identity as imitators being connected So, I know you're an imitator, for I see that ultimately you're imitating. And in what way are they imitating? Well, they're being afflicted and they're displaying joy. So if you think about the apostles and the way that their ministry went, not just in Thessalonica, right? They get chased out of Thessalonica but Paul oftentimes is writing letters from prison. Talk about someone who knows about affliction. He's saying you're imitators of us because you're displaying this affliction. But on the other hand, right, as we look at Paul writing his letters in prison, there's joy. And this is we scratch our heads at this. I think if we were in jail, if we were incarcerated and writing a letter to someone, I just don't think our letters would sound like Paul's. Because there's so much joy. And he's saying, by extension, right, you're being afflicted, but yet you're displaying this joy. You're an imitator of us. And then he goes further, right, you're an imitator of the Lord. For the joy set before him, Christ went to the cross. You're an imitator of the Lord because you're you're willing to be afflicted, not just. We looking back at verse six, not just because, you know, they're mean spirited, right? So for you, receive the word in much affliction. It isn't just because you know, they, they have a bad case of road rage and people are mad at them. They're being afflicted specifically because of the word that they received and, and them actively pursuing the spread of that word amongst these people, right? So Paul, Paul leaves Thessalonica, but these people who are now Christians, they stay. And the people who chased Paul out, well, they don't have a, a punching bag anymore, and so they turn their efforts to these baby Christians. But instead of folding, they, they take the affliction and they show forth this joy. And Paul is able to look at them and say, this is how I know you're imitators of us. Because you are willing to suffer for the word while still displaying this joy. And this shows us a second sign of what it means to be an imitator. So we're being an imitator, we're subjecting ourselves to an authority. But an imitation also shows forth the thing that it imitates. Right? So if imitation vanilla extract tasted like coconut, it would no longer be imitation vanilla extract. It would be imitation coconut extract. The only reason why it's called imitation vanilla extract is it has a resemblance to the thing that it imitates. And so Paul here is saying, you have a resemblance to the thing that you imitate. If they didn't resemble the apostles, they would not be imitators. If they didn't imitate the Lord, they wouldn't be imitators. They would just be Maybe they'd be imitators of someone else, but not the apostles and not the Lord. And this is something we have to consider in our lives. Right? Can we call ourselves imitators? Right? Do we taste like vanilla? Do we taste like the apostles? If people were to show up and say, there's just something different, right? They're, they're willing to be afflicted, right? They're, they're willing to put up with us bashing them and, and saying mean things about them. And yet they display such joy. Then they'll know we're imitators. From being imitators, it doesn't stop there, right? So they're imitators, but it goes on. And it talks about being examples. Verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. What a testimony. So... These people have become imitators of the apostles and, and Jesus and now because of their testimony, this, this being willing to suffer and be afflicted with joy, they aren't, just, they aren't just being known kind of in the community, not even in the province they live in. They're being made known in the province, so Macedonia, they're being made known in the province south, Achaia, and they're even beyond that, right? So Paul uses that hyperbole, everyone, everyone knows. So if Paul were to come and to ask or, or to talk to someone, they would be like, Paul, have you heard about the Thessalonians? They become imitators of you. And we know because they hold these words even though they're afflicted and they show forth joy and And Paul is hearing about it from them. He doesn't have to tell anyone what happened in Thessalonica. Because as they're being imitators, that imitation ultimately leads to example. People are hearing about this because of the way that these people are living. And for us, right, are we imitators... Ultimately, are we examples? Do people really know that you're a Christian? Does that really sound forth in the way that you, you communicate with other people? Or are they just, you know, they're just like any other guy? In some ways, we need to have a mark that's different than everyone else. We need to be marked by this imitation. So much so that people can just say, I know. I know exactly what's going on. But this, this example isn't without content, right? So this isn't just some sort of innate feeling that people have about the Thessalonians, right? It isn't just, well, they feel like there's something different. There is, there's a distinct content to the message of their lives, Right? So we aren't just talking about, well, if I'm really, really nice to people, maybe they'll know I'm a Christian. Because right? there are plenty of people who, you know, they're really nice. Uh, you know, either they, they want people to like them or, you know, so many other reasons. They're really nice, but ultimately they're not a Christian. So how is your witness different than anyone else who's really nice? And, and that ultimately leads to the content And that is verses 9 and 10. We get a report about the content that was in their lives. So, verse 9: For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. Right? So, Paul's saying the obvious right. He went into Thessalonica, he had a good reception among some, most likely the people he's writing to here, because they listened, they submitted to his authority. And now, they're they're listening, they're living out this message that Paul, so they had a good reception among some. And here's the content of what happened. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So, here's what happened. They hear this message about God. They hear this message about Jesus being their salvation, and they say, well, I was worshiping this idol that was carved out of stone or wood, but I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn my back on it. I want nothing to do with it. And I'm going to turn to the living God. And you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, we're, we're past idols. You know, We're modern people. We're so, so much more advanced than they are. And, <laughs> no, exactly, exactly, no, we aren't. We just hide our idols in different skins. Whether that is, you know, our cell phone, right? Like, how many times do you, you kowtow to your cell phone, you know, or, or our possessions, right? Oh, God, scratch. you scratched my God, Right? You scratched my truck. This is, this is an earth-shattering event. You're going to pay through the nose. Right? That's how we act about our gods. There's so many things. And it's actually, you know, in a lot of ways, more difficult to identify your god because it doesn't, you know, sit in your house. It isn't carved out of wood. It isn't an image like they had where they had a conscious, well, here's my god. It's more subtle, and right. That's what makes it more respectable, right? If if you can't tell me who my God is, you know, I'm I'm smooth sailing. No one will call you on it. But what we hear is ultimately these people, right? They they turn from those dead things, right? Dead things: cell phone, truck. They turn their back on those dead things. And what did they do? They turned to the living God. Let me just tell you, so if you have an idol in your house, and your house starts on fire, you are saving that idol. That idol will not save you. But God, the living God, the God who does, God who isn't made out of wood or stone or metal, Now, he's someone who can save you. And that's what we hear. The, The content of the report that's being heard from these churches is, there is a God, he is living, and he can save you. Moving to verse 10. What are they doing? They're waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Right. The first sign that we can trust this God is that he can raise people from the dead. He raised from the dead Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And here's what the living God does that the dead gods could never do. He can save people. But that salvation only comes through a connection with his son. Right? The, the wrath that they're being saved from, cannot be averted unless it is averted onto His Son. What do I mean? So Christ came into the world as a baby, lived a perfect life, the life that we were not willing or desirous of living, right? We did not want to live perfect lives. We wanted to lie. We wanted to cheat. Because that's just who we are. That's not who Christ is. And he lived the perfect life for us and died, not because he had done anything wrong, but because we had done something wrong. He took our wrath upon himself. And so when it says that that the wrath is being averted from them, right, he delivers us from the wrath to come that's actually falling on Jesus and instead of on us, the people who are worthy of that wrath. And this is the report. This is the message that these people are hearing in Macedonia and Achaia. That these people, they they turn from their gods, right? That's huge, right? If if for years someone said, well, my God is going to save me, you know, I just keep worshiping him, he's going to save me. And all of a sudden, they, they turn their backs on those idols? That's huge. And this is, this is the message, right? The imitators, the people who are finding joy in their affliction, well, they have something bigger in their sights than mere idols, than mere things carved out of wood or stone, or metal. They don't need those things anymore. They, they can turn their backs on those things because ultimately there's no hope in those idols. But there is hope in Jesus, right? So it's, it's to- it totally makes sense to them to forsake everything they knew because they're imitators. And now they're examples, people who when you see them you know You've, you've turned your back on idols. Something is drastically different in the way you are. I think just as Christians in America, right, we live in such an affluent society that we can just drown in idols. It's almost, it can almost be unconscious. Right? We're just up to our eyeballs in things that we could worship and as a church, and as a people who are marked by the hope that's coming, right? So the, the living God versus any sort of dead idol, the clearest message is, well, I, you know, ultimately I've forsaken these things. These things I used to worship. And I've turned to the living God. And that's both the message we can tell other people, and that's the, the message that our lives display. Right? So what's the difference between imitation vanilla extract and real vanilla extract? Right? One of them isn't vanilla extract. But what Paul is talking about when he talks about imitators, he's talking about the real thing. He's not talking about people who just act like vanilla, he's talking about people who are vanilla, who are marked by the same message as the real deal, the apostles in Christ. And how do we see this happening, right? So they, these people ultimately, they submitted themselves under authority and they were able to to show forth this joy and affliction, right? That's them showing that they're an imitation of the thing they're imitating. And the message came forth to all these people that they had ultimately, they'd said, Our dead gods, we're turning our backs on those idols and we're turning to the living God because of the hope set before us. And do I do this perfectly every day? No. No. And I want you to hear that. Well, man, the more we focus on the thing at the end, the more we focus on the fact that the living God is really going to deliver us, the more we're going to be pulled away from those dead gods, right? They're going to be less beautiful to us because we're going to see something much more robust and and glorious. At the end of the day, how do I do do this? I, I look at God more. I think about what he's doing more and ultimately that's drawing me into being an imitator more and more. I'm able to receive more affliction. I'm able to have more joy. I'm able to display forth this message more. So as as we go through this week, just something to be thinking, how am I focusing on Christ more? Hmm. Pray with me. God, it's not by merit that we bow our knees to you. but Lord it's by your grace, and we just thank you for being gracious to us in Christ Jesus. Lord, just pray that we would get a sense of your beauty and awesomeness each day, that it might grow in our hearts that our idols would just seem small to us. Lord, I just pray for all my friends this week as they go through life and all the trials that they will potentially face, both for your cross and just the fact that they live in a sinful world, Lord. We just pray that you would have your hand upon them. just pray all this in your name. Amen. Stand with us, please.